this fourth um, typology thing that we're going to talk about today is called Christ above culture. And I'm not going to talk too much about this, uh, like I haven't talked too much about these uh, each week, simply because you know, they're kind of nuanced, and uh, if you're interested in researching them, you can research them on your own. But the fourth typology of the ones that we've talked about is Christ above culture. And the main premise of Christ above culture is simply that we take the values of culture, recognize that they're stunted, not complete, without the gospel of Christ. So it's, it's slightly different from Christ of culture in that the culture doesn't have much say in, uh, you know, uh, where we're heading, what's important, what's valuable, any cultural value is going to be stunted without sort of overlaying the gospel of Christ on top of it. I won't try to make too many distinctions between those two. Just understand that it's on that end of the spectrum versus Christ against culture to Christ transforming culture. All right. And this is t- tended to be kind of the response of Catholicism throughout the ages in regard to interacting with culture. That will try to say, well, culture has these values, but we will try to take these values and present them in a more full way in accordance with the gospel. All right? And so with that, I I wanted to split from that and not talk a whole lot about that today. And my primary focus today was to talk about practical ideas for outreach. Okay? Uh, Based on three what I think are pretty confusing passages in the New Testament uh, having to do with evangelism or outreach, or however you want to think about them. The first one being this in the world, but not of the world, which is really not so much a phrase as it is Jesus' prayer, which we're going to interact with in a moment in depth as a part of a worship activity. The second one being prepared to give a response to the hope that you have. All right. Uh, And then the third one, uh, which is an idea that some, particularly who are coming to faith for the first time, find particularly expensive. Expensive. Uh, what is the word? Not expensive. Expansive. Not expansive, mm. but that would be close. Expensive. Offensive. Wow, I'm not even close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you do with what you got, you know? And that's, that's my brain. So, uh, they find this idea particularly offensive, and it's Paul's statement and Peter's statement a couple times that seems to elevate how you should treat believers versus non-believers, Okay. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about each three of these and hopefully give you a little bit of a different perspective on how uh, those are commonly interpreted and give you some practical ideas for outreach within that, okay? And each one of these, we're going to kind of stop and take a break after the point's hopefully been made. And you guys are going to eat, you know, get into groups for the first time, be on your own the second time. We're going to sing a song for the third time as we try to work in some prayerful and worshipful activities into uh, our time uh, of, uh, of preaching here, Okay. So the first one, in but not of the world. This is a very, very, very common phrase uh, that makes its way around a lot of Christian circles. It's not a phrase, right? If we read John 17, which we'll do in a moment, I'm going to split you up into groups, each give you a segment of it. And then what I want you to do is together write a memorizational prayer, meaning a short prayer from the section that I gave you. And then you're going to pray that over uh, all of us. That's kind of a weird thing, I know. And particularly if you didn't grow up in a liturgical background, memorization prayers, looking from the common book of prayers, it sort of like freaks you out because we're all into like improvisational prayers and spontaneous prayer, which is, can be effective and great, but can also make us say some things that we look back on and we're like, what was I saying? What exactly was I praying to God? That's, oh my, I was directing him in his activity or... I'm not even sure I'd want that thing prayed over me. Or I was with someone just yesterday 
uh, who's leaving out of town, um, and I found myself praying kind of spontaneously for them, but I, I realized what I was praying was ultimately that God would sort of correct their uh, wrong decision to move out of town. And, or not so much that forward. I mean, I was saying things like, well, you know, and if they, if you decide this isn't really a good deal for them, you know, bring them back. And I'm thinking, I'm praying my own motivation and expectation for them into this prayer. I'm not, God was probably just, you know, hearing me say that and just snickering or laughing. I don't know. He's like, this isn't against my will. Where did you get this idea? You know, who knows? Um, So what what, what we can do with these uh, common prayers and liturgical prayers are often have a phrase or something in our mind that communicates something really valuable and meaningful to us uh, that we can say repetitively and through whether it's through worship or through singing or whatever that really connects us to a history of thinking about knowing God. So I'm going to give you this activity in a moment. I know this is really weird. Anytime that we do these activities that are really Uh, different than what we're used to it's really easy to get critical and judgmental and this isn't worship and this isn't weird just just have a really good attitude about those things this morning if they work for you great if they don't you know try to hide your uh disgust at at them all right right okay so you'll be fine uh worship uh as as we uh, do some of these group activities together all right in the world but not of it so this comes from john 17 a prayer that jesus prays a prayer that's actually very liturgical in the sense that he repeats a lot of the same things over and over again. Okay? If we were listening to this prayer, uh, we might be bored, maybe, if we were in the moment, hearing how many things he repeats. We're thinking, okay, you don't need to repeat that over and over again. He's got these like different groups that he's praying for, whatever else. In the world, but not of the world. And I was reading this um, article on Desiring God, which is, I think, John Piper's site, or he's associated with it somehow. And uh, this guy named David Mathis writes this book on the spiritual disciplines. I think his name's going to be different, Matheus, or I, I don't know, but I've never heard of him before this time. And he, he made a point that I think is really pretty helpful, or at least was to me. And that was that we often think in terms of in the world, not of the world, and we've got that phrase backwards. That when you really read what Jesus is saying, he's not saying we're in the world and then qualify that with, but we're really not of it. As if the not of it is this goal that we should be reaching out for, this sort of heavenly mindedness, this heavenly, you know, persona. And, you know, in the meantime, we kind of have to just be here in this world. Jesus actually says it quite the opposite. He's talking to them about These people aren't of the world, just like I'm not of the world. That's the starting place, is not of the world. The goal was you sent them into the world. That you even just take that phrase and kind of flip it a little bit, and it really does make a difference. It's like when I talk to my college students about the difference between colored people and people of color. They really mean the same thing, right? But we sort of break down the the statement, and the question becomes, well, why is one so much more offensive than the other? Well, obviously, colored people means that the people have some aspect, adjective before their personhood, right? And people of color, which is the operative term now, means that their people first, color comes after. And I think in the same way, this in the world but not of the world has affected our thinking so deeply. And again, we've created this sentence that it's made us really think about the world in ways that look more like Christ against culture, that first thing we talked about, than really seeing our, our development as being people more and more sent into the world. 
not more and more separate from the world in that sense. I think this is really, really profound and really important. So, he recommends using this term, uh, not of the world, but sent into it. About, um, you know, our relationship to, uh, to outreach to the world around us. And, and this is tricky, okay? This is, this is difficult. There is a thin line sometimes between this. And as ministers, I, I think with the current trends, um, whatever that is, it's tough sometimes to know whether people's behavior is ultimately a behavior of their freedom in Christ or just a worldly thing that they're doing following the trend. One of the things I think about in our own church is alcohol and drinking. Um, it's hard. I had a conversation with one of the other senior ministers, Ronnie, just the other day, talking about this issue of, so what is worldly drinking and how do we think about drinking uh, in a way that, you know, okay, this is our freedom in Christ versus we're just basically imitating worldly behaviors here. There's a thin line. And I think in some ways, like the baby boomers imitated the world in terms of how obsessed they were with success and making money, a lot of millennials are pretty um, worldly in a, in a lot of our sexual ethics and the way we think about sex in uh, the way we think about uniqueness and uh, sort of finding meaning in the world. And we could go through these, this list, you know, uh, on and on. The point is we, as generations, sometimes succumb to certain things uh, that very easily can get in the way of us having a uniqueness in Christ. And so it's not that one generation is more or less likely to be of the world or, um, you know, uh, in the world. It's that there's a thin line between these two that require a lot of spiritual discernment and a lot of following the spirit and trying to kind of figure out. But one thing is for sure, at least according to Jesus, the of the world thing is something that happens to us as a result of being in Christ. Uh, uh, the the uh, not of the world, sorry. Meaning that that's what we start off at. We're not earning that. We're not trying to go out and make a name for ourselves to say, hey, just look how different I am than the world around us. Christians have often looked at that as a badge of honor, as something to, uh, you know, quick results, quick ways of trying to say, well, look at me, I'm so much different than you. And in doing that, Again, our goal is often to try to look different from the people of the world in ways that are really obvious, that don't require any kind of getting to know someone, uh, and, and that prevent us from being sent into the world. All right? And I think this is uh, something we've got to consider. We've got to think through. That this is being of, uh, not of the world is not something that we accomplish or do through a set of behaviors or rules or do not touch, do not taste, all of these things. It is something that the Spirit already does in us from day one in our commitment to Christ. Now, we can go against His, his leading, go against His will. Uh, we can choose to ignore it, but it's something that we start off with. It frees us to be the people who are sent into the world. And so, and I'm going to kind of make a few more points uh, uh, with that. And I think the practical outgrowth of this, number one, is that we've got to get to know our culture. Some of us, and millennials maybe have often been maybe too associated with culture. I don't know. Maybe it's just the youth. We don't know what millennials are going to be like when they're older. Uh, to say that boomers weren't associated with their culture is crazy. I mean, you think about the sexual revolution and, uh, you know, some of the things, the cultural wars that really began, it began with some of them, right? So 
Number one, we've got to get to know our culture. Some Christians are grossly unaware of other cultures outside of either Christian culture or their own little culture that they're a part of. We talked about this at the beginning of our series, that culture is actually kind of hard today because crossing culture is as easy as having a new relationship with someone. People are so individualistic that they have in their little sphere of influence their own culture. Or they've got the few friends that for them, their culture is just very different than anything that you would maybe attach it to uh, in, in the society at large. So we've got to get to know uh, our culture, whatever that means. And some of us, when we, when, we, when we do things like at work, say, well, I've got all these neg- terrible co-workers, or we're not involved in organizations where we can really interact with people, uh, we're in a way distancing ourselves from the culture that we have access to. All right? And I think that's probably one of the most difficult things, particularly for people who've been in Christ for a while, is to be a part of a culture that, and, and to really know it and understand it that isn't significantly Christian. It just is. And yet, you see again, particularly in Paul's ministry, just how much he really understood his culture. Whether it was the culture of Israel, whether it was the culture of a tradesman, whether it was the Greek culture. He just knew and understood the culture. He wasn't trying to simplify cultural values down to these are unimportant, these are insignificant. And so I think that's important for us. We've got to be able to, uh, in this whole, uh, not of the world, but sent into it, know our culture. Whatever that is. And whatever obstacles are keeping us from, uh, from doing that, uh, we've got to be able to overcome that. And a lot of times that's just through relationship with people. Uh, one of the easiest ways to get to know culture is simply by having meaningful friendships with people who aren't Christian. And that's such a, a duh thing, and yet... It's very common for many of us to just not have significant relationships with people who uh, aren't Christian. Or have relationships with people who are Christian that just aren't very purposeful. Remember, just as much evangelism is necessary with Christians as it is outside of church or outside of Christ. Because a lot of Christians have never really figured out what it means to follow Christ. And so... It's not that I need to go, maybe this is just as perilous in our outreach life as when I have to go find some person who's wearing tattoos and, um, you know, has a wristband that says secular. <laughs> I, actually, I actually did make a friend the other day at Eastside uh, and talked to him for a while about welding and literally tattoos and a wristband that says secular. <laughs> well, most of us aren't going to find, okay, that in our culture. We need simply to be closely involved with someone outside of our community who may call themselves a Christian or not and be able to have meaningful and deep uh, conversations about faith. Uh, I mean, heck, that's a starting point, uh, a, a much easier starting place in some point or in some ways than others. So it's important. And we've got to be able to challenge our church, which I think we've talked about enough. Some of us have gotten really good at taking Paul's command to judge those inside the church and interpreting that as judge the capital church, capital C church, globally, but still have it signed on to the whole point of what Paul was saying there, which is challenge the person right next to you in your church who's doing awful stuff. Millennials have gotten really good at denouncing public institutions and doing nothing to actually make sure that those public institutions work better. 
by looking across the person who's engaged in that public institution, church, and getting serious with them. And it's the same issue that Paul would have in the church of Corinth, that they were looking around just basically overlooking these sins and not dealing with what needs to happen here. If we're truly not of this world, then churches, our local church community, ought to reflect that very well. But that's where we start, here. And so when we talk, uh, whether it's at Focus or at church, about challenging people and about calling people out on their stuff, what we're doing is we're talking about being a people who are not of this world. Not letting people get away with something that, that isn't really worthy of the God that they're following. And that's super important. And so we've got to do that. Um, I wanted to throw in a, kind of a value here. And this is kind of turn a little bit of a different direction. But we're talking about Christ above culture. I think the whole in but not of the world um, reminds me of a cultural value of uniqueness that a lot of us really want to pursue. Uh, it's very important for us to try to be unique, to express ourselves in a really unique identity. So much so that a lot of us, even in conversation, if you're not careful... We emphasize those things that really make us different than someone else. Um, and we're looking for a uniqueness. Some, some, and we could probably go down in the psychology of it and the sociology of it, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of us kind of want to be unique people, right? It's a value of ours. I don't know how you could be any more unique than literally not being of the world. Because ultimately, all uniqueness comes back to someone's just reinventing a trend that someone already did a long time ago. It's some human trend to be unique, to be different, to be slightly better or whatever than the people around us. But true uniqueness in Christ comes from literally having God inside of us making us uniquely different than who we are at our flesh level. And so I think that, that when you think about the Christ above culture there, there's a, really, there's a lot of inroads and a lot of great ways to communicate uniqueness through the idea of, uh, of not being of this world. Anytime you've read a book, science fiction book, I think those are the ones that are, the, particularly the science fiction books that have like an alien coming to a foreign culture. It's just so interesting to read because they're just so different. What are you laughing about? Matt said, Matt said, amen. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm reading one right now that I've kind of gotten bogged down in, unfortunately. But, but it's that way. It's just interesting to read. And I want to develop this idea uh, as we uh, move down into these other three points. But here's what I want you to do. And this is going to be a little challenging. Whatever. It's all good. Uh, I need a bunch of groups. And it could be three, five, six, seven. It, I mean, it could be ten if you really want it. But what, what your goal is, so that you know what size of group you need to get, is you're going to come up with a short prayer that's memorizable. memorizable. <laughs> exactly how you say that. All right? And you're going to pray it over us. One person in your group is going to write it down. You guys can, you know, come up with different words you want to use that you think is fair or whatever else. Now, you're not just coming up with your own prayer out of nowhere, right? You're going to read a chunk of six scriptures of Jesus' prayer and distill that, uh, what you think is the main purpose. And you can come across this in multiple different ways, guys. You can try to make a prayer directly about who God is and, uh, and the significance of who he is. That's great. What he wants from us or what he's calling us to do how he views people, I mean, whatever you want to do, but just keep it really pointed. And it needs to be meaningful to you and your group because you're going to not only come up with this together, but that you're going to pray it over uh, our, our church. All right? I'm going to give you a good time to do this, about 10 or 12 minutes, so you read the passage, and then 
you know, if you can yell at each other, fight, whatever you need to do, uh, but then, you know, hopefully we'll end in unity, um, of the actual prayer itself. And you're going to write this out, have some scribe or whatever else, based on uh, the scripture passage that I give you. All right? Is that decently clear enough? It's pretty weird. So go ahead. Great. Uh, to what extent do you mean shorter? Are we talking like one sentence or a paragraph? Or? Definitely one sentence. I can't remember writing more than like five words. So paragraph. No, I'm not. Yeah. I butcher it totally, right? No, no. Like a, a sentence. Are you okay? You look really grumpy. Yeah, right. Um, so, groups, 10 or 12 minutes. You'll, I'll, I need you guys to be really quiet, which I know is like impossible when you're first forming a group, because I gotta like give you the scripture reference. Actually, I guess I could just make it easy and give it out, right? All right. This is gonna be difficult. No, I can't do it now because no one knows what group they're in. Oh, they're all different. Yeah, they're all different. A, B, C, five, six, seven, eight. Everyone count off. Get in your groups. And then I'm going to sign it to you. Do it quick. Do it quiet. one you want um, to do. But listen, guys, this is a worship activity. And as such, that's anyone anyway, be quiet or particularly reverent. It, I think, you know, in the Celebration of Discipline book, I love his definition of worship because it's so broad and I think it's so true and enables so much to be worshiped. And that's simply that when we focus our attention on the correct attributes of God, this is it. And we're correct in our you know, thinking, or at least attempting to be correct in our thinking, rather than haphazard or incorrect or whatever else, or thinking about ourselves or thinking about the people around us, is an attempt to really kind of get at um, you know, who God is and, uh, and to be able to worship those things. So, uh, do this, prayer memorization, give you about 10 or 12 minutes, and then someone will be able to share that, and we're just going to pray it from your spot over uh, uh, our church. And uh, yeah, any questions before we get going? All right, go for it. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.